Okay, so before you watch this interview, I'm going to recommend that you very quickly Google what is cowpunk, okay? Go ahead. Hello, rock and rollers, aka Metropolitan Culture Corner fans. Spring is on its way, which means that it's terraza weather. And of course, the season's first music festivals are on the way, which is why our guest this month is particularly appropriate. So I would be excited to have the opportunity to speak to her any time of the year. She is DJ, singer, producer, businesswoman, activist, so many other things, Reyes Torrio. Originally from Bilbao, Reyes has been a familiar face around Barcelona since the 1990s. She is probably best known for being co-founder composer and singer in the iconic Spanish cowpunk band Dinamita para los Pollos, which means literally dynamite chickens, <laughs> which you can't say that name and not laugh. It doesn't matter that one of their albums went gold, it's still just like the funniest band name ever. Later, Reyes went on to produce bands such as Brighton 64, Matemala, or Scatela from Barcelona, English band Maroon Town, and others. Reyes founded independent label Alleluia Records in 1994 and is the former chair of the Association of Independent Record Labels of Barcelona. She fought for change in international copyright law with the International Federation of Independent Labels in Brussels. And as if this weren't enough, she has appeared at clubs and on festival stages as a DJ. These include the Esquina Rock Fest, the Mythical Boira Club in Amigo, the Apollo, Rasmataz, Casa Paco here in Barcelona. Reyes has also been a consultant for Gibson Guitars here in Spain for fashion brands. This is like just a list of half the things that this amazing woman has done. She is a 360 degrees all the way around artist, businesswoman, creative person who is also known for being famously outspoken when it comes to championing women's rights and women's place in the entertainment industry. All this years before this became a mainstream topic and a hashtag and anything like this. And she continues to lead by example by blazing her own trail everywhere she goes, always decked out in her super iconic hats, glasses, sparkly makeup, purple hair. You can't miss her. So without further ado, please welcome our guest this month on the Metropolitan Culture Corner, Reyes Torrio. It's the passion for music. I still enjoy it so much, not just as a creator, but as a fan. And that's something that I would like to keep all my life. The ability of being surprised and being mesmerized by artists playing live music. Music is what is worth it, good music. Playing it or listening to it. And the worst is that talent is not recognized and especially in this country, it's really hard, really hard that you get in the position where you should be, that you deserve. But uh, that's my work to all the women in creation, helping them to be more and more successful and more and more respected. I have things to do here and let's hope that in the next three, four years, we see the results of this and this new expectation that is happening with women in music. First of all, thank you very much for being with us today. You have such a long curriculum, but I want to start at the beginning because before you did all the things you did, you were a kid living in Bilbao in the post-Franco era. So how did you get into music, especially the kind of music that you liked in the first place? Mm -hmm. And as a singer, I mean, how did you start? I've been always in love with music since I can remember. I was starting my record collection when I was like eight years old. I was always interested in music, but it was when the punk movement came to Bilbao, to the north of Spain, where I was living, that I realized that I could not just be a listener of the music, but music maker. You know, because punk was offering huge possibility. I mean, you don't need to be a perfectionist by playing the instrument or singing really well. It was just attitude and something to say. So I started the band when I was like 16, 17. We had quite a big success in Spain. I have a golden record, for example, by the 
time it was 50,000 copies, not like now that it's like 5,000 or 10. And um, once I was involved uh, with the band and playing around and doing all this stuff, I discovered that I was a little bit more interested in the other side. I started to be really interested in producing, in arranging music of myself or other people, and then the career started going on. First, before even the band that everybody knows you for, Dinamita Palopoyos, even before that, you and your sister sang together as the Bloody Marys, right? So how did you guys get started doing that? And then how did that lead to Dinamita Palopoyos? You know, it was that time with the punk movement and the new wave. We were like a minority in my hometown, but all of us, we were making something. We were singing in a band or playing an instrument or making a fan scene or having a radio program. I mean, all designing clothes. We were all really creative people and it was more or less normal that we were mixing all the time you know like okay in that way i met the guitar of dinamita palos pollos by then he was playing in another band and i say well i want to do something with you these songs i've been hearing and i have all these songs mine too and let's go and it was like that it was a joke we never thought it was going to be successful because it was like you know <laughs> not serious we were like hooligans let's say it was just having fun and doing craziness on stage surprisingly people liked it that what the Spanish or the Bilbao scene was like in the 1980s. It was just a bunch of people figuring out what they're doing, having fun, and that was it. There were no more expectations. Yeah, it was like this. I mean, I thought, well, maybe we can sell, I don't know, 500 copies of the record. I was telling the producer and he said, no, much more than that. And I said, 1,000. I said, no, much more than that. And he was right and well, Golden Records. In 1989, you guys had a gold record, but I'm surprised that that style of music was popular in Spain in the 80s. It's like country and cowpunk. So why, yeah. why that style of music? We were really very influenced by London. And by then, Stray Cats that weren't successful at all in USA came to London and they were really successful. And they put Stray Cats in the same pot as the madness or the clash. The concept of punk new wave was quite wide. And there was this band from England. I don't know if anyone is going to remember them. <laughs> Wood Hill Fitchapers. They were doing like this mix of country, folk, punk. And we wanted to be a mix of B-52, I don't know, but what it came it was what it came and it was a different thing. But yeah, it was quite successful in Spain because we were coping a little bit, like having this influence from the London bands by then at the beginning of the 80s. When things started really working with the band, did that level of recognition make it easier for you to focus on the music or did it make it more difficult because now you had to worry about all this promotion and stuff? Being in the music market is always difficult and if you are a woman at all. So I've been always having to fight a lot to achieve what I wanted. Even right now, it's still really, really complicated. So it wasn't easy, but I don't care. I don't like easy things. <laughs> With the band, did you feel like even though, especially now, it's considered normal to talk about women's rights and equality, but in the 80s, it was not. So did you feel like you had an equal voice in the band or was it a struggle sometimes? Well, at the time, I think it's been the only moment in music, pop music history, that it was really equal. Punk was for the first time a movement where men and women could do the same thing. I mean, there was no difference on stage or writing or doing a fan scene or, or shooting film. We were really, really like integrated. And we thought, I thought naively that that was the future, that finally we were like in the same level, but it was like mirage. It disappeared with punk, with the comeback of rock and roll or at the end of the 80s, everything went like 
20 years backwards. The, the problem with women in music is they have to fight three times more, they have to be three times better. You can have your position, but fighting like crazy. You've always been really outspoken about the proportional lack of women, not necessarily as singers, for example, but as people in power positions in the music industry, here, abroad, especially here. Gender equality and the need to stop sexual harassment is suddenly in the news, but it's been a problem forever and ever and ever, amen, no? So why do you think things were getting better in the 80s and then went backwards? It wasn't the whole 80s, it was just punk. Punk was really a movement where sex had no importance but then everything went back. The problem is in music as in the rest of society. I mean, we are in the heteropatriarchy. It's, is that the name in English? Heteropatriarchado in Spanish? If it's not, then it should be because I totally know what you mean. We live in a world and a society that is ruled by white rich men and they make all the rules and all the conditions. So being a woman is not easy. A woman that wants to have a professional life and a success is not easy. Music is a reflex of society. So in music, again, we have this problem. We've been always tolerated as singers because you know they needed female voices, but instrument players, producers, or the rest of the professions around music is really complicated for us women to get in, to be taken seriously, accepted, and especially remember because you can be on stage or having a success, but while you are alive, let's say alive, you are there and okay, you have to deal with you. As soon as you get out, you disappear from history because again, history is written by men and they don't talk about us. I'm discovering now that not the last 50 years, but since the beginning of the 20th century, there's been always women doing everything, composing, writing, amazing dramas, for example, in the 20s. How the hell didn't I know anything about this woman? For example, Viola Smith is an amazing drama and she was running a whole orchestra, all women, and they were amazing instrumentists, all of them, but they didn't pass to history. Now we have internet and Wikipedia, so the granddaughters of these women are showing the rest of the world. Here they were, and they were doing things. And in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, guitar players, everything. We disappear when we are not straight there. You would think that after so many years it wouldn't be like that, but like you said, it doesn't seem to have changed that much since the 80s in that respect, or the 20s or the 1880s, you know? As you mentioned, you later got really involved in the business side of things by producing, by founding your own label, by getting involved with the Federation of Independent Labels in Brussels and fighting for changes in copyright law, and none of that was typical, especially for a female musician at the time. But female or male musicians, I hear so often from musicians, I'm just a guitar player, I just play guitar, I'm just a songwriter, I just write songs, I don't want to know about this business stuff, so what is it that made you want to really get involved in not only the business, but the legal aspects of the business, everything? Why did you decide to go that way? When I started, I didn't know it was going to be so hard. That part, the business part, is really, is, is not nice, and especially the record label is complicated because you are the bad one for everyone. If a band has success, it's because they are really good, not because you did a good job too. But if everything is going wrong, it's your fault. And you're fighting with the bands, with the producers, with the media, with the factory that is not sending the CD in time or the vinyl in time. So it's like fighting, 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 and hardly getting any thank you for your job. So it's quite complicated. And again, fighting in a male world, I had to be like a bitch all the time, you know? So they pay attention to what I was saying. 
that it was really interesting. I learned a lot. The only thing that I would like to do again is producing because I love being in the studio, creating music. But I don't think I would like to go on with a record label anymore or managing. It's like so hard. It's a shame because I think in Spain right now, that's the big luck that we have is good managers because we have artists, but management is so complicated. I was going to ask you about that actually because I know that you've worked in Spain but in other parts of Europe you've been out to Los Angeles to work on productions is there a difference between the way the industry works here and the way it works there or the way people approach music people ask me this all the time because I'm not from here but I've never asked anyone from here who's worked in both places what they think what has your experience been oh yeah for me it was a huge huge difference I think the respect that in USA or in England everyone have for artists is really much bigger than here here is like even if you are have a huge success even if you have a long career the respect is always like mm. <laughs> you know? And when I went there in LA, for example, I was recording in this amazing studio 606, that is for Fighters Studio. Sound engineers were like brilliant. The level of professionality between them and Spain is quite a big difference. And they were like really easy to work with, really respectful. For me, it was like, wow, it made a difference for me, really. We still have to learn, I was going to say a little bit, but maybe it's a much more than a little bit, especially this, the treatment and the respect for artists there and the technical question. Do you have any plans to go back to the United States or to go to England or continue to work with the French bands and all the other people you work with or are you focused more on projects here in Spain right now? Now with pandemia, I don't have any projects. I'm starting now trying to finish all these things that I started before the pandemia. I think I'm going to finish one recording here, but I really would like to go there again and um, do some mixing between American singers or guitar players with Spanish people and, and do something like a as not only a female producer, female musician, businesswoman, you were also one of the few, when you first started, female DJs to be really working a lot on the national scene. So I know nothing about the DJ scene at all, seriously. How did you get your start and what really makes what you do as a DJ different from other DJs? Well, first of all, in Spanish, we have a different word for DJ and what I do, we call it pinchadiscos because I'm not a dance or electronic DJ that's mixing sounds. We are like old school and we use songs, real songs with the real original edition of the song. It's a different way of DJing because you have to keep people dancing all the time. You have to mix really carefully because, you know, it's quite complicated. It's not like having a loop. I don't want to be like, back up with the, with the electronic DJs, but it's another kind of world. I was always a huge fan of music. I had a big record collection and I've been always really eclectic in my taste. So uh, I saw that I had loads of old music from Spain or Italy or France. Or, and when I was like 19, that everyone is like just hearing what it was brand new. I said, okay, I'm gonna DJ with all music and let's see what happens, you know? And it was really big fun. So I started like that and later on, that became a style of DJing. And that's what I'm doing now. People want to hear good black music, soul, funk, rock and roll, hard rock, whatever. I do different styles depending on the club and depending on the style of the place that I'm DJing, but always with seven inches, not even maxis, just plain seven inches. So you have to carry all the seven inch records with you everywhere you go. <laughs> so heavy. <laughs> 
Mm. So you mentioned the electronic music scene here in Barcelona. There's a lot of that. So I know it's different, but the kind of DJing you do, is there competition or are they different circuits in Barcelona? It was a big scene for electronic, but Sonar was really big about five years ago or so. And now it's like, we don't really know what is going to happen. I don't know if what I'm DJing is going to be for smaller audiences or it's going to be big again when young people get fed up of reggaeton and they go back to music. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's see because this next week they are going to open big venues like Apollo Rasmatas. We will see what they want to DJ and we will work in a way. Do you feel like the pandemic has changed the DJ scene or the music scene a lot? Do you feel like there's anything positive that could have maybe come out of the pandemic for the music scene in Barcelona? With this pandemic, you know, it's been two years. Two years in music, uh, it's a lot. Yeah, there's been bands and records coming out, but you couldn't play live. So everything's been so weird that yeah. I don't really know uh, if reggaeton is still as strong as it was in 2019 or it's already passed and there's a new thing coming. I mean, we have to see. I hope that we always will have our place for rock and roll. I'm waiting to see what happens. I'm working in the line that I want to happen, of course. I think maybe it's the next generation, the kids that are now five years old, that will, it's a reaction to the youngsters right now. They will go back to music they really made. On the basis of reggaeton, for example, they are like so cheap, you know, it's like you can do good music with loops and with pre-recorded things, but this is really cheap and the sounds are really like poor. And so I think this generation probably is lost. They won't be able to understand bigger and more complicated music, even if it's rock and roll, which is not complicated, but even for that, maybe they are lost. But I'm always surprised because, you know, the other day I was DJing for really young kids and they loved it. And they loved all the 70s and 80s and 90s stuff that I was DJing. So, <laughs> I don't know. We have to wait and see. Thank you so much, Reyes. See, these are the kinds of people who make Barcelona the most interesting city. It's such a mix of cultures and styles, and we are so lucky to be surrounded by the people who not only make the music and the art right now, but who are instrumental in creating what is now the rock scene and the DJ scene and all that stuff in Barcelona. So cool, right? The cool thing about Barcelona is that there are all these different kind of bubbles. There's like the classical music world, there's the jazz world, there's kind of the underground punk world, there's the electronical world. Sometimes they don't necessarily overlap, sometimes they do, but very often there can be somebody who's instrumental in founding the jazz or the rock or the whatever photography scene in Barcelona and you had no idea and they're just sitting there at the bar having their cafe con leche and their croissant in the morning you know that's why I like doing these interviews because I get to share their stories with you so you're welcome tune in on the first Monday of every month for a new edition of Metropolitan Culture Corner subscribe to the YouTube channel or follow the magazine on SoundCloud because we don't want you to miss a single conversation with the incredible artists whom we interview on this series rock on people and see you next month by the way I think you're really gonna want to hear from our next guest because I have to say I don't know anybody with a trajectory exactly like his in the world of classical dance so tune in next month dance fans we will not be disappointed